All right, so Matthew chapter 17 is where we are. Matthew 17, we're going to start out in verse number 14. Matthew 17, verse number 14. But before we get to that, I got to tell you about this guy. And uh, this guy, just absolutely love this guy. Uh, Some of you have seen him. And so I'm going to put his mugshot, we're going to put his mugshot up on the screen right now so you can take a good look at this character. He looks suspicious, doesn't he? His name is Ron, and uh, he is my father-in-law. He also hates it when his attention is brought to himself. And so right now he's all over the internet and live. So hi, Ron. So um, just wanted to tell you some things about him. He's such an awesome guy. Um, he's always tinkering with something. He's always working on some vehicle, someplace. And he's, I just, uh, his mind is always thinking. So for me, as I was um, a 20-year-old in my early 20s, I just uh, mid-20s, late 20s, just had married his daughter. And uh, when, I, when I asked him for his daughter's hand in marriage, if, you know, he said he just started crying. And uh, he said, she loves your carcass. And I thought... <laughs> I, th- I think that's a yes. And so, uh, and so, you know, the rest is kind of history. But he was uh, really important in my life because he was kind of like that, you know, that person in your life that um, you can work on stuff together with. He was a guy that he would see me struggling working on something, something mechanical. Because I didn't, you know, it wasn't a big thing growing up and I didn't work on any cars or anything like that growing up. And so, like, I had some tools and, and uh, like my tools, there was like a little toolbox, and I had a couple things. I was super proud of like my little socket, right? My little, my little, you know, I was like, yeah, I can do stuff with this, right? And then I was like, oh, I got my crescent wrench. Like that crescent wrench is amazing. And so he would see me like working on my vehicle, um, probably not with something this small, but I'm sure I attempted it, right? And he just, I think he had like this like, ah, oh, poor kid. He doesn't even know what he's doing. And so he's like, you know what? And I'm just like struggling with this bolt to get it off. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that. So then I go to the store and then I go, you know, if that works, then, then this works. This works a lot better, you know, because it's, it's bigger, right? And so, and so there I am like, you know, wrenching on stuff. He was the first guy that told me, um, he was the first guy that told me, um, I got some other, look at this. I got some tools here. So... He was the first one that, that told me as, as I was working on, you know, trying to get a bolt loose on my truck or something like that. And I was just like replacing some parts out. He could see I was struggling, but I was like, no, I can muscle this. I'm like, yeah, like, just like, and he said, well, you know, if, if, you, if you take two of them, you can like interlock one into the other, and then you can use it as leverage to, um, of course, I'm not gonna be able to do it right here with all this pressure, people, all your pressure. Sorry, I'm so embarrassing you right now, but he showed me. <laughs> I can't do it under this too much pressure right now. But he's like, you can lock two of these together and you can get a longer one. And I was like, no way. And so I try it. I'm like, that's really cool. I think everybody needs to have like a father-in-law or a dad or a grandpa that can teach him mechanical stuff. And so it was just really cool because Ron was that guy in my life. And um, he saw me struggling and like, this wasn't working. And, my, and all my other tools weren't working. And so he said, well, Jim, Jim, you need, you need, a, you need, a, you need this uh, a breaker bar. So he gave me this, right? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to, yeah, no bolt is going to, no, it's going to be fine. And then, of course, I found some bolts that just, they wouldn't budge. And he says, Jim, just use this and attach it to this so that it's this long. And now just crank on it and you'll be able to, I love these two things, by the way. This, like, 
these two things are so awesome. They have, uh, they have come in really, really handy. Way too clean? Well, I cleaned them up before I got here. I'm not going to like... Yes, I actually just bought these this morning. Oh, you guys. So, uh, you know, I, I, I saw this little post here, this bigger is better kind of a thing. Uh, take a look at this right here. So, yeah, tool expectations. You know, please come loose, the small one. I hope it comes loose, the medium-sized one. And then the bigger one, I wasn't asking, right? <laughs> and so just like, you know, the bigger the tool is, you can, you can do more work. Um, I saw this picture too, you know, somebody using like this huge bar and then like a, a cheat bar or a helper bar. I think we've got one here. And they're trying to pull a bulldozer. They're trying to put this bulldozer onto a flatbed. And like, you can see like three guys with an extension bar cranking on this thing, just trying to get a bulldozer, which is nice. We don't want those flying loose on the highway. But then sometimes people take these like extension bars and they just take it too far. And I saw this picture here and I had to share it with you. You know, the last bolt you need to remove, be like, and so don't ever do that, okay? Although there's some guys in here that are like, yeah, I've done that, I've done that. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. It's really interesting because if you want to torque, if you want to torque a bolt, so torque is equal to radius, or let's say length, is equal to the length times the force. And now, assuming you're not going to get any stronger, you have this bolt you want to get torqued off. You're not going to get any stronger, so your force is going to stay the same. So the way you get more torque, if you can't push harder or pull harder, is you just have to get a longer bar. And with a longer bar and the same force, you have more torque. And so that's why getting a longer bar has an effect. And it's interesting because my father-in-law, Ron, you know, we would be talking about this, and I remember him saying this. Like It's kind of stuck in my mind. I think he said something along the lines of, when he first showed me like, hey, if you put a bar on it and you get some more leverage here and you make it longer, he said, you know, if you get one long enough, and I don't, I don't know if he said this or maybe I just remember this. He goes, you know, you, if you get one that goes out to the moon, he goes, you barely have to touch it with your finger and it can just break any bolt that you want. It'll absolutely just, and the thing is like, it's, it's more of a thought experiment. I mean, obviously you're not going to have a bar that long, but this idea that, yeah, the longer it is, it doesn't require much force on the end of it. In fact, if you get a bar long enough, even a child in our nursery there would be able to just grab the end and just kind of just lean on it and be, it would be enough to be able to break even the strongest bolt. A small amount of force placed at the right spot can have a really great effect. And this morning what we're going to see is a small amount of faith placed in the right person can have a great effect. God's not asking you to have this tremendous faith, but he is asking for faith. And he is asking that it be placed at the right spot. So the title of this morning's message is Faith Properly Placed. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Let's pray. Papa, as we come before you this morning, we just thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you that you've brought us here this morning, and we thank you that your word is before us. We pray this morning that as we look into your word, that your word would speak to us right where we're at. Whether we've been struggling um, recently, having these questions about what we believe, maybe just uh, relying on our own strength, our own resources, and not really trusting you. Lord, wherever we may be, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work through me 
so that the message would come across clearly to each one of us, that we would know what we should do and how we can draw closer to you. I thank you so much, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew 17. There are two other parallel passages in the New Testament that share the same story. Think of them as two more perspectives on the same story. And these two parallel passages are Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. And those are the verses. So, you know, later on, if you want to look them up and kind of compare this morning's passage with the other accounts that Mark and Luke gave as they also saw the events happening. And we're going to look at some sections of those verses this morning. In fact, let me start off with this. The disciples have been separated, been separated. If you were here last Sunday, you remember that Jesus took three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he took those three disciples and said, let's go up on this mountain. And they went up there and Jesus was transfigured, transformed. His glory was shown to them. We even saw that Moses and Elijah showed up on top of this mountain as well. It was an amazing scene, an absolutely amazing scene. But the disciples have been split. So three disciples have gone with Jesus and nine disciples are still um, at the base of the mountain or in a city nearby serving and ministering. So now Jesus, Peter, James, and John return to where the other disciples are. We're going to look at Mark's account. It'll be on your screen here. And let's see the scene. You know, you have this amazing mountaintop experience. It's incredible, but sometimes we'd want to stay on the mountain because we're like, I know what's waiting for me. Look what was waiting for them when they got back. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 16. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? What a scene of chaos this is. They come down off the mountain. They come into whichever city or area these disciples are, and they see this massive crowd around the disciples and the scribes arguing with them. I think we can all understand, you know, that kind of feeling where both from coming off of maybe a retreat, a vacation, something where you and the, you're just, you've met with the Lord and you're just like, ah, oh, I just want to live on the mountain. I just want to live where it's peaceful and God really spoke to me and what is going on? Life is going on. I think we've also known what it's like to be like the other nine disciples where people are just coming and there's people arguing with us and you're just going, what? Why? Can I just teleport out of this spot? I don't even want to be here right now. Well, Jesus comes there and he asks them, what are you arguing about? So now we're going to look at the passage this morning. Mark shared something that Matthew didn't share. Here it is. Matthew chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. There's always needs and there's always people that are struggling. Either they're struggling or people that they love are struggling. And this man stands out. Matthew makes a note of this man. My son, Jesus. And so he has these epileptic seizures. In the Greek, it's a word that's translated as lunatic. It's actually where we get the word lunatic. And the luna in lunatic refers to like the word lunar. It refers to the moon. 
So this word here, lunatic, it refers to an epileptic. Well, why would they, what does it have to do with the moon? Because they would believe, or there was a belief back then that you were moonstruck. What's moonstruck? The idea that on, the, on a full moon, if you were out at night during a full moon, or you slept out under the light of a full moon, it could cause you to become imbalanced, and it could cause you to lose your mind. And so this belief had gone on, and so much so that the word lunatic is a word that, I mean, when we say, oh, that person's a lunatic, you're not thinking that person's an epileptic. You're thinking that person's crazy. Well, for this person here, the situation that was going on, it was referring to something that was similar to epilepsy or some type of epileptic seizure, even to the point of this sun passing out, passing out into the fire, passing out into water, potentially drowning. Whatever was going on, it was a very severe thing. And now we're going to look at this and say, okay, is this strictly a physical issue? Is there some chemical imbalance that's going on? It's possible that there's a chemical imbalance going on or something that's just not, the wiring is just not as it should be. But what we're going to see this morning is there is a spiritual component as well. Wait, to every single epileptic seizure? No, to this one in particular. But we need to, as Christians, keep in mind that we should not try to remove the spiritual component from our life. That when we see things going wrong, ah, that's just stuff going wrong. Behind the curtain of this life, there is a world that runs parallel to ours, a spiritual world. A world where angelic and demonic forces have influence on our life. And for the non-believer, for the person that just goes, I don't believe in any of that stuff, everything is just, well, that just happens, or that's just chance, or that's just dumb luck. But for the believer, we may not know why something happens, but we at least have the awareness that there is something behind the curtain. And while we may see what happens on the stage, we don't really know the details of what's going on behind the scenes. Well, we're going to get to see a little bit of what goes on behind the scenes in this particular situation. These demons, or this demon, this, we're going to find out that this son was influenced by a demon. Is a demon required for a person to experience things like depression, suicidal thoughts, or impulses? No, a demon is not required, but we can't say that a demon doesn't contribute to suicidal thoughts, to depression, to those kind of impulses. Jesus is here, and he's dealing with a man who is heartbroken over his son, And he's come to the end of himself. He doesn't know what else he can do for his son. And so he comes to Jesus. Jesus is here to give people life. But there is someone else who's not here to give life. Jesus said this. Look at this. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus shows the contrast between why he came and why the enemy has come. And we just need to realize that, that there are, these components are happening. As we live in our community, there are people that are absolutely struggling and have that spiritual component where the enemy is just going, oh, I am absolutely beating them up. The enemy only cares to steal and kill and destroy. In verse 16 of Matthew 17, this father 
share something with Jesus. And he says this in Matthew 17, verse 16. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. So this dad has already tried. It's not like he went to Jesus first. Jesus wasn't around. He was on the mountain with the other three disciples. So he, they went, he went to the, the dad went to the other disciples and said, hey, can you help? No doubt those other disciples tried to help, but it didn't work. Luke, Dr. Luke gives us a little bit more insight on the situation that was going on here with this son and this father and the father's heartbreak. In Luke chapter 9, verse 38 and 39, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Verse 39, and behold, a spirit seizes him, this is the dad speaking, and suddenly cries out, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, broken bones, and will hardly leave him, meaning there's very little relief in this spiritual attack that's been ongoing in this man's son's life, his only son. Could you imagine the heartbreak for this dad? And he's, he's gone to the disciples, and that didn't work. Why didn't the nine disciples have the power in the situation? You know, and, and we could just say, well, you know, they, they tried, and, you know, God doesn't always answer in that way. Sometimes his answer is not to do that. And, and while, yes, that that's, could be a true statement, that isn't the answer for this situation, the one that we're reading this morning. Jesus told these disciples that they were instructed to do something specifically. Look at the screen. We saw this earlier in Matthew when we were studying Matthew. Matthew 10, verse 8. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And then Jesus says, you have received without paying, give without pay. In other words, freely do these things. What things? Those things right there, including cast out demons. So Jesus had specifically told these 12 disciples, I am, I am commissioning you to go do this. So they should have been able to do this. And they had done it in the past. That's why it seems so interesting that they weren't able to do it on this particular one. Ah, oh, well, maybe this, this demon is extra strong. Maybe this demon is too much of a match. Maybe that's what it is. But what we're going to see here this morning is it would appear that there is actually, the issue is not with the strength of the demon. The issue is with the lack of discipline with the disciples. That they were lacking spiritual discipline. Here's a thought. Jesus has gone with three of the disciples. I wonder how they felt about that, right? To go, oh, what makes Peter, James, and John so special? How come, how come Jesus took them? Oh, great. So we're here with all these people that have needs and they just get to go on like a little mountaintop retreat? Wish I was there. Really wish I was. And sometimes when opportunities happen for other people, we can spend so much time wondering why they get the opportunities that we're doing a really poor job at whatever we should be doing at the moment. We're having our own little pity party we're having our own, you know, cute violin music about how sad it is that we have this situation. And then all of a sudden the people start swarming them, the scribes start arguing with them, and it's like, oh, come on. Sometimes, you know, when the boss is away, the employees sometimes slack off. 
And these disciples are not above that. The idea that the king has gone. The king isn't here with us right at this moment. And so, you know what? If he was here and he was looking at me, I'd be like, yes, Jesus. Oh, I prayed with this person. Did you see what I did? Did you? Did you? But now that he's not looking, maybe I'll just kind of, I'll just wait till he gets back. I'll, make, I'll busy myself. It's really important for us to realize that the king is always watching us. Always. You may not sense his presence, but he sees all things. When Jesus was on the mountain, he knew exactly what was going on with the nine other disciples. He knew exactly what their situation was, and he knew exactly how much they were giving. He knew how much of their heart they were giving. He knew how much of their time they were giving and their attention they were giving. I think it's really convicting for every single one of us to realize that God never stops looking at us. He loves us. He's not looking at us to try to bust us. He just knows the truth. So it's really lame when we're like, okay, we're at church now, or we're at some place where there's other Christians, and we're like, I'm going to act extra Christian right now. Who are we? Honestly, that's insulting to God. Do, do we really think that we fool him? Do we really think that he doesn't know who we are? And for these disciples, it started to show because there were some results that should have happened that hadn't happened. Jim, aren't you being a bit harsh on these disciples? I mean, not everybody gets healed. You are absolutely right. Not everybody gets healed. But the reason I am so strong towards these disciples is because of what Jesus is going to say next. Look at verse 17. Chapter 17, verse 17. After being told his nine disciples couldn't heal this boy, and Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Wow. So Jesus is saying there's an issue of faithlessness and there's an issue of a twisted generation or a perversion. And the question is, wait, is he talking about those nine disciples or is he talking about something bigger than that? I think it's both. He's talking about those nine disciples, but he's also saying this generation also follows after that same attitude, the attitude that I don't sense God right now. You know, I'm in church, and so I'm going to be really Christian, but, you know, Monday morning, you just got to be like the world, you know? You just got to be like the world to survive the world. Do you realize your king is watching you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? I heard, I heard it said that you are who you really are when no one is looking or when you think no one is looking. That's who you really are. We can all put on this really good face when other people are watching us. You're not going to see me argue with my wife here at church. We'll save that for right afterwards. <laughs> nervous laughing, nervous laughing. Yes, that's right. Uh-huh, right. But God knows. God knows the real situation. You know, the thing with these disciples is, could these disciples have healed this person? Well, in the most technical sense, no, they couldn't because they don't heal anybody. <laughs> they don't heal anybody. The disciples aren't healing anybody. I can't heal anyone. Neither can you, but we can bring people to the one who can heal them. See, at best Christian, what you and I are is we're a referral service. We refer people to the one who actually can change hearts and heal lives. It's not me. It's not you. 
So if when we pray for someone, they are healed, or we pray for someone and a relationship is restored, we don't take credit because it wasn't us that did the work. It was God working through us that did the work. So who's doing the work? Ultimately, it was God that does the work. In and of ourselves, we can't do it. And I think what is happening with these disciples is they do something that every single one of us can do. They try to do it in their own strength. You know what's really dangerous is when you have some success. Success is a very dangerous thing because when you have success, what it can start to do is inflate your ego and inflate your head. You're just like, wow, I'm pretty good. It's pretty amazing what happened there. I prayed for that person. Did you see that? Like miraculously, they were healed. Like they went to the doctor and there was no issue there. Wow, got some pretty amazing words that come out of my mouth. That's pretty amazing. It's like, it doesn't take much for us to lose perspective and forget where the power comes from. It doesn't come from us. And for those disciples, I think they reverted back to, you know what? I'm just overwhelmed by the situation. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to seek God. So I'm just going to just do this in my own strength. And we can see the results of them doing it in their own strength. It wasn't working. Church, you and I, we just need to be a referral service to people. We really do. Well, Jim, are you saying that we should never talk about what the Word says? Oh, no, you should. But when you talk about the Word, it all speaks of Jesus. It's all speaking of Him. And so when you share the Word with somebody, when you pray with somebody, you are referring them to Jesus. You're showing them how to pray. You're going, hey, let me introduce you to someone who can change your life. I want to encourage you to bring your family to Jesus. Don't be afraid. Bring your family to Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Well, that may stir things up. It usually does when Jesus is brought up. It did then. It does now. But that doesn't change the fact that he's the only one that can change a heart. He's the only one that can truly fix the dysfunction. Bring your children to Jesus. Sometimes there's this, this um, feeling, this, no, feeling's the wrong word. There's this uh, statement that I hear, unfortunately, more and more as the years go on. Yeah, well, my child doesn't really want to go to church. Yeah, sometimes we all can feel like that. I don't know if I want to pray right now. I don't know if I want to read my Bible right now. But there's a reason why we were called to be their parents or grandparents. Because here's the thing, if you don't encourage them and lead them and instruct them, don't think that nobody leads them and instructs them. Somebody is teaching them and someone is leading them and someone is instructing them. It should be you. If you pull back on your responsibility, well, they're older. <laughs> they still need guidance. They still need guidance. Your role may change slightly, but you're not suddenly going to be like, I'm step, they're 18, I'm stepping out of their lives. I'm sorry, where's that verse that says that exactly? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so we're called to point our family, our children to Jesus because there's going to come a time when we're not around and they're going to have other competing voices that'll be telling them, listen, listen to me. Listen to me tell you what to do. This is the way you should go. This is what most people are doing. Come on, you want to be loved by us. So if you want to be loved by us, this is what you need to do. They must be told the truth and they must be brought to Jesus. 
And this morning, you may be listening going, that seems really simplistic. It may seem simplistic to you, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is still the right answer. He is still the solution for what troubles us. What did Jesus do here? Verse 18, we look at uh, Matthew's account here, Matthew 17, 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. What we're going to see here is that when you have different people's perspectives, different things stand out to them. For Matthew, he says, Jesus rebuked the demon and the demon came out of him. And when the demon came out of him, it says the boy was healed instantly. Okay, so from the time of the demon coming out, he was healed instantly. You know what that tells us? That tells us that whatever that epileptic issue was, that was a demonic issue. It was a spiritual issue. It wasn't, oh, it's just a purely chemical. No, it was was spiritual. This one is spiritual. Now, Mark gives us a little bit of an expanded perspective of everything that happened between Jesus showing up and him rebuking and the demon actually leaving. Mark chapter 9 Verse 20 through 27. Here it is on the screen, Mark 9, 20 through 27. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, the demonic spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. This demon's like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I don't wanna, I'm not giving this kid up. I'm not giving this kid up. You gotta understand that about demonic powers. They don't wanna give anyone up. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Verse 22, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Hmm. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe help my unbelief. I have prayed that really short prayer many times in my life because I've come across situations where I'm just like, I, I, I don't see how this one's going to work, God. I, I believe you're God, but I don't see how this works. And because I can't see the steps of how this is going to work out, I can fall into a place where I'm not believing that God can do it. And I think it's at those times when you look at a situation, maybe it's a family member or a situation, it's been like that for so long that you've just, you've lost heart. If you're just honest with yourself, you've just lost heart. You're putting on a strong face, but really inside what the king sees, Jesus sees, is that you've lost heart. You don't believe that God can do it. You don't believe that God can fix that situation. Jesus just told that dad, if I can, all things are possible for the one that believes. And immediately the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that needs to be your prayer today where you just go, God, I believe you. I believe who you are, but please help me in my unbelief. It's not that I don't believe you're real. I just, I am struggling with unbelief. Ask God. Verse 25, and when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, you, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, see, the demon didn't just go. It's like, no, I don't want to. It doesn't want to leave. It doesn't want to leave. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. The, the boy looked dead. 
He went from convulsing to what looked like him being dead. So much so that most of them said, he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now, if you look in your Bibles again at what Luke said, Luke said in Luke 17, 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. What I love about these two perspectives is, is Matthew's just like, hey, listen, I'm just giving you the really quick. And then Mark is saying, let me give you some more details of what it took. Yes, once the demon left, the boy looked like a corpse, but he was actually healed instantly once the demon had left him. I appreciate the Gospels. And I think, you know, if, you, if you've looked at the Gospels and you're like, I'm just, I don't know that I like all this repetition. Like you look at it and you see the same story multiple times. It's great because you see different people's perspective on the same situation. When we look at what happened for this young man, when we look at what happened to this son, that he was finally free from the heavy chains of the enemy, isn't that what we want for those around us that are struggling under the heavy chains of the enemy? Isn't that what we want? Don't we want them free? Don't we want them liberated from those demonic powers that want to destroy them? Do not be naive on this point that the enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this church. He just wants to destroy, and he will do whatever it takes. But the thing is, when someone stronger than him, him shows up, he has to leave. You know, when I was showing you that, like, that breaker bar, right? It's almost like I was trying to think of what it was like for those disciples. I wonder for them, you know, they know Jesus. They know like, oh, okay, you got this like this stubborn bolt, this stubborn issue in your life, this stubborn thing that it's like, there's some spiritual thing going on. Well, go ahead and put this on there and give it a, give it a good pull there and it'll work. But I think what happens is you've got to grab it at the right spot. You see, if you grab this, and if you see anybody that's doing it with this, if you see them grab it way up here, and they're trying to turn it up here, it, this has no effect. It, it might as well just be this long then. But when we try to fix issues in our own strength, it's like us grabbing a bar that has so much potential and grabbing it all the way over here and trying to, and we're going, well, we're doing much better now because before I didn't even have this. I didn't have Christ. And so I was just using my hand to try to undo these bolts in my life, to undo these rusted situations, to undo this. It's, it was so hard, but now I've got this. Yeah, but you're not using it the right way. The faith can't be in you. The faith can't be in your ability. The faith can't be, that's all right here. All that stuff is way over here. And it has very little effect. What you need to do is have your faith properly placed. Your faith, it's not that a person doesn't have faith. Everybody has faith. The question is, where are you putting your faith? It's a sad thing when a Christian puts their faith back over here in their strength and their ability and all of, it's so ineffective. But if we put our faith properly where it belongs, we put it where Jesus is. It doesn't take very much. Jesus isn't asking for you to have a mountain of faith. And in fact, we'll see what level of faith he's asking for. But he is saying that the faith has to be placed at the right place, in the right position. It has to be on the person of Jesus Christ. I pray that you have not experienced so much success in your life that you go, you know what? I used to hold it here, but I think I'm going to just, I think I'm pretty strong. I think I got this one. I think I'm just going to grab it here. And I'm going to fix this issue. 
I think that's what happened to these disciples. I think that's why they were so ineffective and Jesus calls them out. And he says, you're faithless. What are you doing? You know, we need to realize this, that there's a spiritual dynamic that's going on. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Humboldt County is a spiritually dark place. Yes, it's going to be a sunny day today. And yes, we've been enjoying some really nice weather, but the weather betrays the spiritual climate here. And so, yes, on the sunny days, everything's great. At least my day's going great. And yet there are people that are struggling under the heavy chains of the enemy. Some have been imprisoned for a long, long, long time. And it's not my strength or your strength that's going to free them, but it's Jesus that can free them. And God is going to put us in people's lives so that we could point them to Jesus. And it's important that we do that. It's important that we take those opportunities when God presents them. We shouldn't move away from people that are imprisoned and in chains. What a horrible thing for us to do if we were to do that. If we were to see people that are struggling and we hear the voice of the Lord saying, speak to them, help them, and we just go, yeah, no. We need to realize this, that whoever that is, that person, that's somebody's son and that's somebody's daughter. Yes, they may be older in age, but would you walk by a child, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, burdened under heavy, rusty chains? Would you just walk by them and go, ah, but yet, because they're older, because maybe they've contributed to getting themselves into that situation, ah, I don't think we're, at that point, honestly, I don't think we're looking at people the way that God looks at them. We have to be so careful that we're not trying to take the world's methods of how it deals with people and trying to mix it with the way God sees people because God loves every person, even if they got themselves into their situation. And we shouldn't have so much amnesia that we forget that if it wasn't for the Lord, we could find ourselves in that situation just like them. If we ever find ourselves so prideful, we're like, oh, no, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't find myself in that situation. No, I, I think we've forgotten then. I think we forgot the one who broke our chains. I think we forgot the one that freed us. It's Jesus. And if he did it for us, and we knew the pain and all that we were going through, how could, what could he do in a person's life if we would just pray for them? If we would just, it doesn't take much. But it takes something. See, that's the thing. It takes something. Jesus is going to clarify some things here. Look at this. <clears throat> He's going to say um, in, in, in Matthew 17, verse 19. Sorry, yeah, Matthew 17, 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. The King James and the New King James actually have the word unbelief there. And you might go, well, Jim, unbelief and little faith, those are kind of the same. Well, one means that there's a little bit of faith there. The other one means that you don't, you don't, you're not believing at all. And I want to say this, that probably the better translation is the one that the King James and the New King James use, which is the unbelief. 
The issue wasn't that the disciples had little faith. The issue is that the disciples were faithless when it came to that situation. Look what Jesus says, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. See, Jesus is saying, if you're you're going with the thought that, you know what, maybe they just had really little faith. Well, then Jesus is saying, increase your faith. How much is he saying that they should up their faith to? He's saying that you should up your faith to the faith of a mustard seed. If you look at the period in your Bible, that's about the size of a mustard seed. If you're saying that, wait, you know, they just needed to increase their faith to that level, you know what that means? Is that they were faithless. There was a message that was given um, a a few uh, months back, and it's called Small Beginnings, and you can listen to it on the website. It was from Matthew chapter 13. There's a mustard seed. Jesus has already talked about a mustard seed. He's talked about that. See, Jesus is saying, disciples, the, the only faith that you needed in this situation for it to be effective was enough faith like a mustard seed. You know what that tells me? That just tells me that they didn't have faith in that situation. And this is true. You can be a Christian who believes in God, you're saved, you love Jesus, but when it 